Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hello and welcome to Series 3 of Scran, the podcast that champions the Scottish food and drink scene. I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and I'm so happy to be back with brand new episodes of Scran. This series, the guest lineup is amazing. I've got some great surprises coming your way. This week's episode will be highlights from the Scran Burns Night Live, the first of many live events from us, where we celebrated Scottish food and drink, music, poetry, and heritage. The event was hosted on the Scotsman social channels such as Facebook and Twitter on Monday the 25th of January. The full live is still available to watch back, so I'll link it in the episode description if you'd like to watch it from the start. So without further ado, here are some of the best bits from the live event. Hello everyone and happy Burns Night! I'm your host, Rosalind Erskine, and tonight I'll be joined live by Scotsman Heritage writer Alison Campsey, Scotland's National Chef, Gary McLean, and Benriach Brand Ambassador, Stuart Buchanan. Also tonight, we're going to hear from a range of people in Scotland's food and drink industry, as they tell us what they're eating and drinking this Burns Night. From chefs to whisky experts, there's also a guest appearance from Outlander's Sam Hewen. Spoiler alert, I think he may be having some trouble with his haggis. And a reading of a poem, written and read exclusively for us by Alexander McCall-Smith. Please let us know in the comments where you're watching from and if you have any questions for our live guests. My colleague Sam Shedham, not Sam Hewen, is monitoring these and will appear later on to ask any questions from you to us. Now, without further ado, I'd like to welcome my live guests tonight, Alison, Gary and Stuart. Hi, everyone. Hello. Hi, guys. How are we all? Yeah, yeah great. Here tonight, and I know we've got a big kind of worldwide audience, so welcome everyone. I know we've got guests coming in from far and wide, so really lovely to be here with you tonight. Nice, and I'm sure they're going to be excited to see your kilt, Gary, because we know that you're wearing one. Yeah, we're all we're all looking very smart. I think I speak for quite a lot of us uh, tonight when I say uh, let's have a drink. So, what is everyone drinking? I'm having a cheeky claret, which I thought was quite sort of well suited to the bard. I couldn't get my favourite whiskey from my local shop today, so I thought a glass of red wine was fine. Although I do have with me my favourite tartan scarf, which is from the Boonahaven Distillery on Isla, um, which is my favourite whiskey. And if I had it, I would have that tonight, but instead I've got some red wine. Nice. Gary, what are you drinking? I've got a little nip of Tamdu. It's a single malt space out. I've got a vast collection of whiskey. I tend to turn up at things and people give me a bottle of whiskey. And I don't drink whiskey too often, but it's nice to get a bottle open, especially for occasions like this. Yeah, especially on a Monday night as well. A Monday night. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and Stuart, what about you? Well, I have beside me our beautiful Ben Riach 10-year-old original. So under the table, I've got a lovely 21-year-old uh, single malt and maybe pouring at the end which also has some lovely red wine in it so it touches with Alison's claret cask as well so I'm spoiled for choice let's say. <laughs> yeah yeah no you look like you are. I am joining you with uh, the Ben Rieger 10 as well 
which I've already almost finished one of these, so that's fun. <laughs> <laughs> Lovely. So that is what we're drinking. Now here are some clips from some well-known faces across the Scottish food and drink scene wishing us a very happy Burns Night. Hello, my name is Gemma Patterson. I'm the Global Ambassador for the Balveni. To celebrate our National Bard, I decided to pour myself a wee drop of the Balveni Rose. I'm going to have a sip of this and think about one of Rabbi's most famous poems, Slancha. Hello, I'm Nick Morgan, author of A Long Stride, which is the story of the world's number one Scotch whisky, Johnny Walker, Ayrshire's second most famous son, next to Robbie Burns. For Burns Night, I've got some of the centenary blend that was produced last year as part of the 200th anniversary celebrations of, uh, of Johnny Walker. So cheers, have a great evening. Bye-bye. Hello, I'm whiskey consultant Blair Bowman, and this Burns Night, I'm going to be drinking this fantastic new Arbiki Highland Rye 1794. It's the only Scottish rye that's available at the moment, and it's incredibly exciting. I'm just going to have a little nose and taste of it. It's, it's fresh, it's spicy, it's, it's fruity, mm, and it's absolutely delicious. All the spices, all the fruit coming through, and I think it's going to be a great one to toast Burns Night with. Cheers. Hi, everybody. My name's Billy Walker. I'm the master blender at the Glenalchy Distillery Company Limited. We are uh, going to be running this feature for a very special uh, evening of Burns Celebration. So... We're going to be looking at uh, what I'm going to taste today is uh, McNair's Lumreek 21 year old. Big experience, um, big leather, woody cedar notes, lots of vanilla, honey. I'm enjoying it. Hope you guys enjoy it and uh, slange to the evening. I am Drake's author, Sean Murphy, and this. Burns night, I'll be enjoying a wee dream to dram from King's Barns, and I'm sure Juno will join in the festivities as well. Slange. Hello there, I'm Rachel Barry. I work as Master Blender for Benry Distillery, um, Glendronic and Glenglassa. And tonight I will be enjoying some Benriac, the original ten, along with my haggis and uh, lots of Burns poetry. So enjoy, slange your and cheers. Cheers, everyone. So, Alison, who was Robert Burns and why do we celebrate him tonight or today? Uh, thanks, Rose. It was hard, actually, to come up with a Scot who is more famous than Rabbi Burns, our national poet, our bard, this superstar figure who really has this global legacy that's been built upon the magic of his words and the power, really, of his messages, which were always really kind of universal in their flavour. And I always think, like, when Burns wrote, it was almost like he wrote for all of us. But I think it's fair to say, and we know that Burns's legacy has been going strong for more than 200 years and really kind of shows no sign of abating. I mean, if you want to talk about Burns himself, um, he you know, was from a very humble and hardworking origins. His father was a tenant farmer, like a lot of Scots were back in the 1700s. I mean, I'm including my own family in that. 
and Burns himself farmed to help out the family. And he obviously worked, worked very long hours, toiled very hard. He wrote about this. There was very little financial return. We know that he was skint a lot of the time. But the thing about Burns as well was that his father really wanted him to be educated and enlightened. And his mother also instilled in him a love of kind of country songs and like a deep respect for the people who wrote them. So over time, like as Burns' work got noticed and um, he was up in Edinburgh, you know, sort of performing his creations he was referred to as a heaven-sent plowman and like I always really like that description of him I think it's a nice way of putting it and you know this was sort of earned given Burns's incredible ability to take really big themes and distill like what felt like all the humanity into wee lines of verse that were very powerful and had this ability to touch us all and he also had this natural kind of real blinding ability to communicate with people from all backgrounds and this kind of went very much noticed throughout his life and um, I did read a description that it was everyone from the frivolous to the learned really kind of like came under his spell such was his ability to connect with folk and Burns believed that no matter your background you had value you know and I really love that message too. I spoke to Dr Paul Mulgratty from the Burns Centre at Glasgow Uni and um you know, we just had such a great time speaking about Burns and uh, Paul was really able to bring to life the allure of the poet and really kind of why he endures um, and has endured for so long. And, you know, as Paul put it, Burns spoke about love. He spoke about death. He spoke about pleasure. And we know that he wrote about the downfalls of desire. You know, he spoke about politics. He offered social commentary. You know, he spoke about spirituality. I mean, there was no theme, you know, off limits for Burns. And he really approached everything with this lovely, sort of genuine kind of honest heart. And I guess that's why people just get him. Let's look at the first Burns Supper. It was 220 years ago. Uh, back in 1801, and it was actually held to mark the fifth anniversary of his death, and a group of his friends gathered in the wee cottage where he was born outside there. I think there was like 12 or 13 of them, and it was pretty modest, obviously, drink was taken. They brought in the haggis, and Burns's uh, poem addressed to a haggis was recited, and really that was the start of the Burns Supper, and that sort of format with the address to the haggis is really at the, the start of every Burns Supper that's been held you know, ever since. And I, mean, I thought this was really quite interesting as well. Around this time, like 1801, it was the birth of what's described as table culture. And I thought this was really appropriate to speak about, you know, since we're talking about food and drink surrounding the Burns Supper. So this sort of growth of table culture. And this was like when folk were coming together with their friends, with their family, um, you know, they were relaxing. You know, the drink was flowing, you could get drunk, you know, you could really let your hair down. And, you know, I think, you know, when you think of a night like that, it really kind of speaks to me of Burns. I mean, we know that he would like this kind of night out. And I think, to be honest, during these extremely strange times, I mean, what we would all give for a bit of table culture right now and just that lovely, warm vibe where you're with your nearest and dearest and having a laugh and really, really enjoying yourself. So, I mean, that is a major aspect of a burn supper. It's that sort of bonhomie, conviviality, you know, getting down to good stuff. So that's your first burn supper, 1801. 
And I think it's really incredible how this just kind of like took off over the next sort of three or four decades. Um, we fast forward to 1859, and that's the centenary of his birth. All of a sudden, there's a thousand Burns suppers happening around the world. So we might ask why the spread was so huge and why there was this explosion in the sort of popularity of the Burns Supper. Well, um, I think it's chiefly down to emigration. And as the Scots diaspora spread around the world, so did this call to home every January. And the kind of patriotism... um, was expressed through the prism of Burns and really continues to do so this day. So um, I was talking about this map that Glasgow Uni's done. You look at the map, it's really interesting to see where you're celebrating. Uh, so obviously hundreds in Scotland, England there are many, and then you look over to Denmark, they're there, Russia, Moscow, they're there. Uh, look down the map, look across the world, Sierra Leone, Ghana, New Guinea, over to Panama, Brazil, Bolivia, uh, US, there's hundreds, Wyoming, California, Utah, Colorado, Canada, there's dozens, Alaska. Um, And, you know, I think it's quite funny, you know, there's many, many people in the Southern Hemisphere, the hot, sticky Southern Hemisphere summer night, pulling on a kilt tonight, really conveys a glass to Burns and Scotland as well, of course. And just to round off, you know, as part of the map research and the global reach of Burns Supper, um, there's been some interesting menus popping up. And again, I thought this was relevant because of the food and drink vibe. Um, So um, just to illustrate the sort of international dimension of the menu, we can go to Nigeria, where you might get haggis served with jollof rice, which I understand is like really quite a celebration dish. It's cooked in a tomato broth. You might add something to give it a wee bit of smoky flavour. Sounds lovely. In Barbados, you can have haggis with green pigeon peas and salt meat. Sounds interesting. Um, Now, apparently, this was inspired by porridge and is of a very similar consistency. In Sydney, Australia, you get haggis served with kangaroo. Um, But my favourite, possibly, and the one that I'd love to try, indeed, is um, from Vancouver. And this is at the Gung Haggis Fat Choy Club. And there they serve haggis dumplings and haggis lettuce rolls, which I can only imagine are absolutely blending with a wee bit of hoisin sauce. So if you're at the Gung Haggis Fat Choy Club tonight, have a wonderful time. In fact, wherever you are, have a great time. Despite this very unusual uh, time in our history, you're not alone tonight. If you're parting for Burns, you really are part of an international celebration. So have lots of fun. Thank you. Thank you very much, Alison. That's really interesting. And uh, as we can see from some of our comments, there's a lot of people from around the world all saying hello. We did have a couple of questions. Um, someone asked if Burns ever married. I think he did, did he? Was he not a bit of a womaniser? Yes, but he definitely married, yeah. Uh-huh. I mean, you know, some people say he married more than once and he certainly had a, a kind of a very traditional sort of wedding ceremony, although it's never really sure if they actually wed in full there was a sort of exchanging of bibles down by a riverbank which apparently was a very old way of doing it which really just sounds rather beautiful but yes i mean burns was known to have many women and you know um his relationships with women and some the way that they were treated did cause him a lot of problems over time um and he certainly had um you know quite a few illegitimate children and burns you know spoke very freely in his poetry about his loves and about his life and really how much a lot of these people did mean to him 
some people think that he was, you know, a bit of a scoundrel and, you know, didn't treat the women very well. And, you know, it is certainly fair to say he did have a fair good few women in his life. I was going to say, that's a very polite way of saying that, you're... <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I was <laughs> We can cut to Sam Shedden now, who is monitoring the uh, comments to see if we've got any more questions that I might have missed. Hello. Uh, we've had a question from uh, Christine Gordon, who wants to know, well, the question's to Alison, actually, but we'll, uh, I'll open it to, up to both of you. What is your favourite Burns poem? Bit of a biggie. Well, I mean, I really like Tam O'Shanter. Um, and I, th- I mean, I love it for its like sort of epic kind of storytelling. But I mean, there's really some beautiful lines in it as well, where, you know, he's describing, you know, sort of the pursuit of pleasure, like sort of grabbing up Oppie. And as soon as you have it, you know, it sort of like disappears. Or as soon as you get pleasure, it sort of disappears, you know, like sort of snow by the riverbank. So I think Tam O'Shanter is amazing because of this sort of epic kind of like, tale of trying to get home after a really boozy night out and you know the sort of horrors that are encountered in the darkness that you're facing because you know there's going to be consequences to this but also within that there is just some really lovely poetry a fond kiss is good and also i learned so i don't know if you guys did this but in primary seven of primary school we had to learn a burns poem off by heart and recite it and you could win a prize i didn't win my sister won (laughs) <laughs> she won a book of poetry but she probably still has um, and I did Tiamus which I still remember the first line of but no I'm not going to I'm not going to recite it <laughs> Okay um, an- another question that somebody asked uh, this was from uh, Scririn Ray, apologies if I butchered your name there uh, but the question was to both of you um, was Robert Burns romanticising the Scottish Highland landscape like for example Sir Walter Scott in his literature or do you think he gave an accurate description of not just the landscapes he wrote about, but also life in Scotland at the time? Well, I mean, to me, Burns just sort of kept it real, you know, really, to be honest. And I don't, to me personally, there was not really a great deal of romanticisation coming from himself. I mean, other folk might have romanticised him later on. Now, I could be totally wrong about that. I'm not a Burns scholar, but... For me, Burns spoke truly from the heart and, you know, really, in many cases, reflected hardship and reflected, you know, quandaries regarding, like, political authority and church authority. So, personally, I don't see him in any way, like, as Walter Scott romanticised Scottish culture and Scottish history. So, no, Burns, for me, kept it real, for sure. Okay, and uh, I think as well, it's quite interesting as we asked people how they were celebrating Burns Night um, themselves. Perhaps something a little bit different, which I'm, I'm pretty intrigued by actually, is uh, Rebecca Nugent. Um, she's in South Louisiana in the United States, and she says uh, they serve haggis with crawfish and king cake there. So that's an interesting combination. I, I, I'm intrigued. I would, I would actually like to give that... Um, Sounds like brilliant. To, yeah, I'd yeah. like to give that a go. And then we have uh, poor old Schroeder Hills in Canada. He says, yeah, we have a wee dram and shortbread, but it's very hard to find good haggis in Canada. Uh, he's not speaking on behalf of all Canadians there, but he certainly uh, will be enjoying the night anyway. And uh, we also had a message in from Alistair Cruikshank, who said, it'll be the first time in 20 years that I will not be taking part in a burn supper, but we have a haggis in and I plan to address it as usual and post it on, on Facebook. I'll also hopefully recite 
Teamus and Tam O'Shanter. So, oh, well, ho hope you had a lovely night. Exactly. Even though people are staying at home, um, they're very much enjoying themselves and we're certainly glad they're joining us today. Yeah, definitely. Well, since we touched on Haggis there, I spoke to James McSween, who's one of the best names in Haggis. He spoke to me about his family business and why he's still the leading Haggis brand today. Hi, James. How are you today? I'm very well. Thank you very much for asking. It's good to be here. Yeah, it's a little bit different from the last time we spoke, but it's nice to see you again. Yeah, likewise, yeah. I guess it's the it's the the challenges of of working in a, a world subjected to COVID, but uh, you know we're we're making the best of it. And yeah, it's it's been. I feel like it's what started off as a bit weird is now just become like normal. So it's it's uh, unfortunately, but it's it's fine. So we're here. We're here to chat as uh, as your last name would suggest. Um, all things haggis. Do you actually have people say to you? Do you have? Do you ever have anyone come when you're maybe buying something or they see your name? Do they ask you, "Are you the haggis man"? It happens occasionally. Last time it happened, I was actually in a service station driving down to visit my wife's family in London, and the guy looked at my my bank card and he was like, "No, really?" I was like, "No, really? What?" He went, "You the haggis man?" I was like, "Yeah, yeah." yeah. He says. Oh my God, I love your haggis, man. <laughs> yeah, very random stuff. So you're uh, obviously um, of James McSween of McSween Haggis and you are, you've been a family business in Edinburgh for a very long time. Can you just take us back to the start? How did all that, um, how did all that start with uh, your shop in Brunsfield? So yeah, we were, we were founded in 1953 by my grandfather. My, my four generations ago, we lived on Sky. We left Sky because we had a, disagreement with our landlord and we wanted to build a road up to the croft he said no so we went right we're moving this had been an ongoing battle for quite a while moved to ratho my grandfather was growing up he got an apprenticeship in a butcher shop in london links and fife to be a bookkeeper of all things finished his apprenticeship moved back to edinburgh got a job in oars um, which was a butcher shop um near the the roxburgh hotel on the the, the west side of george street um started there as a bookkeeper and ended up being the shop manager by the time the shop shut because Mr. Orr sadly died. His daughter didn't want to keep the business on. My grandfather, Charlie, thought about going to get a manager's job somewhere else. And between him and Mrs. Goodrum, they decided to he was going to set up on his own. And that's what he did in August 1953. And it's been going strong ever since. Yeah, going from strength to strength. Um, so I think... The thing in, when you work in a butcher shop, you can't help but do a bit of everything. And in certainly my apprenticeship, you were always doing not necessarily your job, but you were always just for the sake of getting product out the door and, and helping customers. You always lent your hand to everything. And, and that's kind of how Charlie fell into ending up being the shop manager. But, yeah, we've, we've been a high street name in Edinburgh for, you know, since since the early 50s. But more nationally, since we, we dedicated our our energies to haggis and vegetarian haggis production. We moved to the site I'm sitting in right now in 1996, having moved out of red meat, built the world's first purpose-built haggis factory. We were doing 235 tonnes then, about three quarters of a million pounds. We're now doing nearly six million pounds and about 1,800 tonnes, I think, um, is the, the number that's in my head. Uh, now supplying the likes of Marks & Spencers um, with obviously their private label product, but also other retailers under the McSween brand. 
And what is what is it that you would say makes a really good haggis? Obviously, you must have a recipe, but um, I've read in one of our articles about mixed bean haggis is you had an ethos of it being like a Mars bar, like no matter where you go in the world, you'll know that you're having a mixed bean haggis. So what, what is it yeah. that you think makes it so good? Yeah, that's, that, I'm, yeah, I'm impressed you've heard that. Yeah, that was, <laughs> my grandfather always used to talk about a Mars bar haggis. And um, and I, I couldn't quite understand what he was saying until I said, well, that, that would taste horrible, Grandad. He said, no, you know what a Mars bar is going to taste like before you put it into your mouth. And that's what we need to do with our haggis. So the consistency, having a, a repeatable recipe that is consistently, um, you know, delivers on flavor, texture, experiences, is critical to consumers coming back because you, you're only as good as your last haggis or your last black pudding. If they have a, a consumer has a bad experience, they're more likely to go and try somebody else's. So consistency is, is important. Our methodology, I've I've shared all my haggis making know-how with with MS, and that's why our recipes are are so similar. Um, but the, the way we the way we um, make our haggis, or you know, haggis making haggis is a bit like making a cake. Um, you, you buy in all the bits and pieces to the, the oats, the meat, the onions, the seasoning, and it's just about how you you blend it and at what stage you blend or mince or or cook. Um, so we're 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 consistent in the way we make it. We make we use the same methodology as as we do on the McSween brand, um, and that's why MS Haggis tastes so well. Um, you know, we we cook all our 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 offal, so the all the, the pork offal that we put into their um, pork haggis, and then we use lamb offal for the provender recipe. That's all cooked in in big cooking vessels, um, and that's what gives their haggis that light, fluffy, crumbling texture. Well, there you go. Everything you could ever need to know about mixed bean haggis. Now we're going to hear a poem from Alexander McCall Smith. Burns Night is all about poetry, song and uh, different things that you, you'll do during a burn supper. Um, Alexander McCall Smith wrote and performed this, perform- this poem exclusively for us at the Scotsman. So here he is. This is a poem about Robert Burns. It's called Missing You Already. What's 225 years in any full-blooded scale of things? Not all that much, really. There are some who still feel, against all the literary evidence, that Homer sat down to the Iliad not all that long ago, or at least not so long that we've forgotten the gist of what he said about Windy Troy. Poets have a way of persisting, long after their lyres have lost their strings and been put away in the cupboard. Their voices have a way of lingering, reminding us at unexpected times of why it was that we were initially so struck by what they had to say to us. You are certainly still there, as real as the day before yesterday, saying all those familiar things that seem every bit as important as they were when you first said them, reminding us to be human, first of all, and then, if we can, to delight in our individual ways, in the ordinary doings of folk and the ways of nature, to look with your eyes and your humour, your passions too, at those around us, to share your vision of what it is that makes this life so precious, so amusing and so poignant, all of that. We still need you, you know, and you might be surprised to hear just how deep and lasting that need has turned out to be, especially now, 
when so much of what you wrote about seems a bit of a distant memory. Fellowship in some inn somewhere, a rural dance, time in the company of friends, things you put into song that we think we remember and that we'd like to experience again. Of course we can do that with you as our companion, Robert Burns. The party is taking place. The warmth is there, to be felt. The lights are on again. Give us your hand. Here's ours. All Scotland, though a little quieter now, is a bit happier in your company, a bit wiser in the warmth of your words. Well, that was lovely, especially for everything that's going on just now. So thank you very much, Alexander McCall-Smith. So now we're going to go on to some whiskey. So I'm going to bring in Stuart from Ben Meech and uh, we'll have a few drams and a bit of a chat about whiskey. Hi, Stuart. Hi, Rosalind. Thank you. Yeah, and uh, so oh, you probably get asked this a lot and you've probably already discussed this today, but what would be your ideal whiskey pairing for Haggis, Neeps and Tatties? Do you know what? Uh, I, I personally have a sweet tooth. And I think that's why Ben Meech really stands out to me, particularly in my palate. It's got this really open... Uh, beautiful fruit forward sweetness uh, but also it has got this lovely spice this lo- lovely warming spice in the middle just like haggis has with that grind of pepper or grind of spice running through it so for the haggis i would maybe go for our 12 year old sherry would actually with that bit more dark and depth uh, to the character there and what i actually have with my 10 year old original beside me here is some a tweaked recipe of cranachin so that's a beautiful Poached apple and pear, soaked in honey and whiskey, cream, a little bit of toasted oats, and a little sprinkled of tablet on top. So I've not I'm not got into that yet, but I'm looking forward to the combination of both. Nice. Um, I'm also drinking the Bernier Ten. I said this earlier, um, and it, it's great. It's uh, it's really light, and I feel like it, it smells so good. It's good for beginners. It's a really nice whiskey. Yeah, so hopefully that'll uh, go down well later on with when I'm having my haggis. So whiskey and Burns kind of go hand in hand. Is that true of him at his time? Would he have been drinking whiskey? Goodness, uh, yes. And, you know, I think we're all familiar with his his, uh, his excise days, you know, later in his life and, uh, and as a gauger. But, you know, if you look at the area where he was actually brought up in, in that southwest of Scotland there, it's probably the most prevalent area of Scotland for actual smugglers coming into the coast. And that smuggling would have been uh, wines, the wine casks that we were using in our maturation, rum casks, port casks, Madeira, Marsala, um, casks from with, uh, styles of wine from across the world, sherries. Um, and also, and I'm sure in the foothills along these coasts and along the cliffs, there would have been some illicit whiskey being made as well. So even this little wisp of peat smoke I get from this whiskey, I'm sure that was even, you know, reeking through the hills back in his day. So... You could, I'm sure, say he was, let's call it, a poacher tongue gamekeeper when it came to his, his drinking habits. Nice. And uh, one of the things, uh, one of the quite traditional things that we do in Scotland is share a quake, which is obviously like a little silver dish that you pour whiskey into, and you can share that with someone. Obviously not advisable right now unless you're in a bubble with them. Who would be your dream person to share a quake with and why? An, an artist, a Scottish artist, who I still adore, is uh, John Byrne. Uh, for me, he's one of my favourite people as far as his writing and his art. I have been lucky enough to meet him in Glasgow many years ago back in the 80s and more recently just in Aberdeen Airport, I think it was, briefly. But I never had the time to sit in a dram. He would be my 
first choice to share a quake with. So yeah, our Burns Night, obviously, we've got whiskey, um, we have haggis, neeps and tatties. So if we just bring in Gary, we'll ask him some cookery-based questions. And if anyone has any questions for Gary. Hi, Gary. Brilliant. The show's been great so far. Really interesting. Yeah, thank you. My main question, which is what I've always wondered, obviously, haggis, neeps and tatties, how do you make really creamy mash? That's a really good question. And it's not that easy. So you need the right tatty. So something like a red rooster or a Maris Piper. You want to keep the potatoes quite big and you want to bring them up slowly from cold water. A good pinch of salt. You don't want to overboil them either. So when you boil them, the knife goes through them quite easy. I'd pop them, pour them into a colander and just let them steam out. Pop them back into the pot. A little bit of butter. Get them dried off. You need a rinser. And that is the magical difference of great mash. These mashers that you get in your kitchen drawer are hopeless. You can pick one of these up in the supermarket for under a tenner and it will transform your mash. That is what I'm missing because I've, I've at one point tried to make them even in like a KitchenAid, you know, with like the kind of beater that you'd use for cake. Yeah, no, it didn't work. <laughs> Kills it, yeah. You can't move it about and you've got to mash them hot as well so you can't let them cool down. So it, it, there's a wee bit of science. The starch is quite a funny one and again, getting the right potato. A good Scottish red rooster works perfectly. And this is a question that has been bothering the uh, the divide between Scotland and England in my work chat. What is a turnip and what is a neep? <laughs> it's always a problem. Um, well, it's a, it's a turnip and a sweet to talk about. Yeah, that's it. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our turnip is definitely the turnip. So it's a big ugly thing. You cut it and it's yellow inside. And a, what we call a sweet is a little kind of uh, little sort of baby white turnip. In, in England, it's the reverse, but we're right. I mean, we're right, you know, and it's, you know, Rabbi Burns said it long ago. So, you know, who, who are we to argue? That's true. Somebody said, what is the perfect burn supper from start to finish? And do you know what? I think for me, it's always about the people. And burn suppers tend to be the type of events when you're celebrating with people that you probably don't see as often as you should. You know, whether it's whether it's business colleagues or people that's helped you out through the year, they become quite formal and it's an opportunity to show off. But it's getting those really nice people. You know, I, I honestly think the food's secondary to the to the to the guests. I really do. Nice. And uh, obviously we're having great guests tonight, so we're having a great supper. And and then likely event that there is any leftovers, so say you've got a bit of haggis, maybe some mash, some neeps. What would you recommend that you do with that the next day? The thing is with haggis, it's so versatile. You know, you can do anything with it. You know, you can do things like sausage rolls, burgers, haggis steak pie. Um, you could make a kind of hash, get some more potatoes, dice them up, a little bit of garlic, get some haggis in there, uh, a wee poached egg at the end. You can do the old haggis bonbons that you get in almost every restaurant in Scotland. Samosas, pakora. And you know, I really like, I've always got haggis at home. I always like to have some haggis and toast with brown sauce. It's, it's an amazing ingredient that you can do absolutely anything with. Just to go back to your, uh, you know, talking about the perfect burn supper, it's the people who you're with. Who would be your dream burn supper guest, either dead or alive? doesn't matter. It can be anyone. Who would they be and why? It's got to be Rabbi Burns. This whole point of this, you imagine getting Rabbi back and showing him the impact he's had in the world. And you're always thinking about those, those his pals five years later at Burns College when they've got together and had a Burns supper. They're still talking about this man and his stories five years later. He must have been a great guy for a night out. 
perfect. I, I, that, that, it's a no-brainer for me. Get Barbie in. Nice. Um, and uh, we've got another question from Nadine. It says, do people have regional haggis recipes or is it pretty consistent across the whole country? Now, that is a good question because I don't actually... Do you know that. what? I actually think for once, we, Scotland's food is very regionalised. You know, when you go up the northeast or you go down to the, the, the Ayrshire coast or even between Glasgow and Edinburgh. But I think we're all pretty similar when it comes to our, our, our haggis. I really do. You know, just get it on the plate. It's... Uh, and that, I think that's what a lot of people do. You know, we've, we've kind of embraced it as a nation, as opposed to being regional. And don't don't ask too many questions about what's in it. Would be my advice. <laughs> but I think it goes to an advantage because I again I travel the world and I try and smuggle in haggis as best I can. I've taken it to Colombia and Cuba and, and India and places like that. And people have obviously heard of haggis and they see it as almost like a joke food. You know, they're almost terrified of it. You know, it's a kind of dare to eat it. And then when they taste it and you see their face light up and they're blown away. And there was a, there was a question in from someone in Canada. You can get good McSween's haggis in Canada. It is allowed. And the United States, you'll also get the, the veggie haggis as well. So it is out there. And the veggie, veggie haggis is good because I'm not a massive fan of lamb. So the haggises that are a bit sort of, you can taste the lamb, I'm not really into. So I tend to go veggie and it is, I can recommend that so if you're in america and you want to try haggis definitely go for a mcsween veggie you are going to get a kind of a true reflection of what haggis is texture and flavor it's really clever how they've done it yep um and kim in the comments says gary ever since i was i was wee turnip was always so bitter any suggestions other than to put a wee bit of sugar in it i wouldn't put sugar in it but you could put a bit of butter in it um or even you know, you do your mash, a little bit of butter and even a little spoonful of your mashed potato and mix it through and it kind of comes together a bit better. But again, it's the same rules with turnip. You have to you have to cut it into even sizes, bring it up from cold, good pinch of salt and again, let it steam out so that it's not so uh, soggy. Nice. And Rebecca says, for someone who has never tried haggis, which haggis would you recommend? Oh, there's, that's a million dollar question. <laughs> Do you know what? See, as long as it's Scottish, I think you'll do well. You know, that there's loads of good ones. McSween's, Simon Howie's is really good. And do you know what? I've always got a can of Grant's in the, in the cupboard as well. And it's it's the tin haggis that I have to smuggle into places like India. There's so much good haggis. I don't think about the bad haggis in Scotland. But when you travel, it becomes a wee bit different. When you when you go to places that aren't allowed to import it, it becomes a different story. Um, I was uh, It was 20 years ago in Chicago, and there was a Scottish bar used to do a Tuesday night all you could eat haggis and it was it was an American chef who was making it from scratch who had never seen or heard of or, or, or tasted haggis before and this is before the internet and YouTube and everything else so the guy was working off his own back and it was the worst thing I've ever tasted I can still taste it so um, it, it takes me back um, so if it's Scottish it's good um, for any of the Outlander fans out there, if you want to uh, hear a, a similar awful haggis story, it's uh, something that Sam Hewn talked about on uh, his episode of Scan. It's quite funny. It, it gave him the book. I'm assuming that haggis gave you the book as well, Gary. Honestly, I can still taste it <laughs> after 20-odd years. <laughs> and it, it was good to get the, the chef. I still remember his name. Baron Errol, his name was. It was quite a, it was quite a character, I'll tell you that, um, around Chicago. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> And Lisa asks, is there a traditional dessert that goes with a burn supper? There's a couple. Um, I think uh, Kranachin is one I would always try and do a kind of uh, alternative to, to Kranachin. 
Um, there's things like tipsy layered, that's a kind of trifle. And uh, I think if you go back maybe 40, 50 years, it would have probably been a quickly dumpling, I would think, going, going back then. But we've got we've got a lot of really, really traditional um, desserts uh, in Scotland. Well, thank you very much. That was great. Um, nice to see you and uh, nice to see you in your kilt as well. Yes, it's a good <laughs> opportunity to get it on. I think it's one of the first times I've worn the whole ensemble. So yeah, well, I, got, I, got, I picked it up just before lockdown. So it still oh, fits, no. just, only just. Oh, hopefully you get a chance to wear it out, out and about soon. I'm just going to bring our guests back on to um, see if anyone has any questions for them. Sam Shedden is also going to come on and uh, ask some of your questions. Hello. Hello, how you doing? Uh, one of the questions that we've had, uh, a slightly uh, a different one, is from uh, Kate, and she asks what everybody's opinion is about haggis leftovers for breakfast, and, and in general, what, what can you do with haggis leftovers? I think from a, you need to make sure they're really nice and hot. Again, works really well with breakfast if you're going to do it. Again, as I said, do it with toast. If you've got some tatty scones and a poached egg, it works an absolute treat. And if you've just got the haggis, just a bit of brown sauce, what's what's perfect? Yeah, I mean, I was actually thinking about those lettuce rolls, you know, the haggis lettuce rolls that they have in Vancouver. I think that sounds awesome. In fact, I might go to the Gung Haggis Fat Choy Club next year, or really certainly <laughs> as soon as I can. Fossil had a, 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 a pretty big question, it must be said. Um, but uh, Christine Gordon's asked, uh, what is everybody's favourite Scotch whisky? I can imagine how some people are going to answer, but uh, yeah, there it is. Oh, there, I think I, I said, I've got, I've got, I've got a, a predominantly sweet palate, and it might sound strange to people maybe listening who are not maybe single malt drinkers, thinking, oh, you know, how'd you get a sweet whisky? But um, you, you find some classic Speysides, you'd be amazed at the fruit complexity in there. If you go back to the 1970s, you're talking about things like mango, papaya, passion fruit which you would never normally associate, I don't think, with single malts, but they are there if you can find them. So, yeah, give me a good old Speyside. 1971 is a vintage. That'll do. <laughs> well, thank you very much. If we Do we have any more questions, Sam? Yeah, we do. Uh, one is about the, the history of haggis. Uh, was haggis served in Scotland prior to the first Burns Night in 1801? There we go. That might be a question for me. Haggis is a dish out of necessity. So it's a dish where it's the bits that no one wanted so that it inevitably went to the poor. And it was a dish that was made made uh, made in homes um, when, you, when you didn't have too much money. Um, I think, believe it or not, I think the first mention of haggis uh, goes back to the 13th century. And it's in an English cookbook, unfortunately. But there's also chat of, of, the, of it coming from the Vikings and all sorts. It's got really, um, a really kind of nice history. And I believe the word haggis is actually older than the word Scotland. There you go. And that's just off the top of my head on my, my haggis research. Correct me if I'm wrong. My son's watching upstairs. He's a historian. He's probably um, <laughs> he's probably Googling my answers right now. But uh, I, no, it's, uh, it's a fantastic, you know, part of that whole Scottish jigsaw. Uh, I really like it. Thank you very much. So if uh, all that's left for me to say is thank you very much to my guests for joining this evening. Finally, now I'm going to leave you in the very capable hands of our special guest, Outlander star Sam Hewan. Here's his Burns Night message and what he's eating and drinking tonight. So thank you everyone and slange. Hi there. I just want to wish everyone a very, very happy Burns Night. Yes, indeed, it is Burns Night. 
And um, obviously it's a big celebration um, in Scotland, obviously our national bard who was very prolific. Uh, it's a night of celebration. Um, and as this is the Scotsman food and drink, I wanted to just mention exactly what I will be drinking and eating tonight. Well, first of all, of course, it's got to be whiskey, water of life. The Sassanac, which is um, my whiskey, it is obviously delicious. I'm in love with this stuff. You can still get it in the UK to eat. Now, this is really interesting. I'm gonna be having haggis. I've unwrapped them. I don't know which is which. These are the best haggis, I believe, in Scotland. They are McSween's. One is vegetarian, one is the real deal. The wee guy was running around the hills of Scotland earlier today, but um, he's now been wrapped up in one of these. Uh, I was very happy to do that. But I don't know which is vegetarian and which isn't, so that's uh, gonna be a surprise for later. Um, obviously, normally I would drink out of a quake if there was people here. There's no one here, so I'm on my own, I might as well um, drink straight out of the bottle. And of course, you need Jamie's Dirk uh, to, to toast the haggis, to cut up the haggis. Um, I will be toasting the haggis myself later tonight. So until then, Slime Javar, enjoy, happy Burns night. Um, much love to you all. Well, there you have it. I hope you enjoyed listening to the live event. I certainly enjoyed hosting it. See you on Friday the 12th of February for our Valentine's theme episode, where love is in the air. Scran is a laudable production and is available wherever you get your podcasts. But for exclusive, interactive and immersive content, you can download the Intel app. Thank you.